Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strevel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Neither you, maybe if it was any that did not enjoy my discourses on the devil and his tormentors, demons, if they were some, yet you were patient. I feel greatly relieved, and I believe with all my heart that I preach the truth. I want to preach some discourses from Romans. How many I preach, I do not know, but I'm going to begin in chapter 1 today. Romans chapter 1. Paul has gone to great length in this letter to show a child of God his standing before God in Jesus Christ. I understood Brother Ewan to confess to God that he was a sinner by nature. I'd be sorry for anyone here today that didn't feel that. Then Paul had tells us that we are a sinner by nature and that we are completely incapable of our own selves to ever work out a salvation that is acceptable unto God. Now, the first thing that Paul does in Romans is to prove that all the world is guilty before God. Now, I pray you listen to these discourses. You can get a lot of other lessons out of these scriptures. But, but, but their primary reason for this the first, Paul's first saying in chapters 1, 2, and 3 is to get before you that all the Gentile world is guilty before God. That's the first thing he goes about doing when he really starts his discussions in 1 and 18. And that's where we'll try to get to today. And, and then after he finishes that, then he shows that the Jews, the chosen nation of God, that all the Jews are guilty before God. That, that he said before, he said, he sets that before. And in verse one, uh, in, in chapter one, Paul not only goes about to do that, but he, he shows that, that the Gentiles are sinners by nature and they have continually gone down the hill in degeneracy, just worse and worse and worse. And, and, and Paul is literally wants our thinking to go back, uh, from the day when sin was committed in the Garden of Eden. And I hope today that I can show you that I'm not one that believes that that God just chose somebody to go to hell and the rest he sent to hell and they couldn't do anything about it. Now, I'm going to expect my church members today, uh, if, if, if you're going to claim the name Primitive Baptist and you say that you believe in the sovereignty of God, I'm going to expect you to listen to me as I try to talk about it today. And if these children, you older people, if, if these young people have to see you, look at you today and see you yawning, indifferent, and wiggling in your seat, don't you never ask them why they didn't grow to be strong church members. I, I'm going to be real. There's a reason why I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sin, 
And without that blood applied to my heart, I can never get to heaven. And God, by his love, does it all. And Paul sends a whole letter. That's that's the very core of Romans. But after Paul gets through showing now what God has done through Jesus, then he begins to show me what I can do in the service of God. I want you to listen because I believe that I have, when I stand up here, I, I at least believe that I have something worthwhile for you to hear. And I'm going to tell you, everyone that's sitting on the sound of my voice today is going to give an account to God for your life. Not only you, but every human being that's ever lived with sound mind is going to give an account to God. People that don't even hear the gospel is going to give an account to God. And God has never recognized idolatry out of any person with sound mind. Whether they had heard the gospel or whether they have not heard it, God has designed a way whereby every sound mind in the world that's ever lived is supposed to recognize that a higher being created the heaven and the earth. And if they do not give that glory to God, they're going to give an account to him. I want you to listen to me, this idea that somebody thought I believed. God just chose somebody else and they just everybody else couldn't do nothing. And I don't believe that. I don't believe you can love God without him first loving you, though, and shedding his blood, his love in your heart. But we're not going to leave the other out either as we go through Romans. We want to actually try to see what he's telling us. All right. In Romans, I want to read in 3 and 9, I believe is the verse I want to read to show you what Paul is going to be working towards. And, he, and then he makes this statement. Romans 3 and 9. Paul says, What then? Are we better than they? Paul said, What then? Are we as Jews better than the Gentiles? You see, he, now over here in Romans 3, Paul began, What advantage then hath the Jew? And and, and, and then he says the Jew does have some advantage. But Paul don't want to get the, the Jews to thinking that they have any advantage in their standing before God as far as salvation is concerned. In other words, Paul is going to labor hard. Whatever it takes to save a Gentile, it takes the same thing to save a Jew. And then he says, brethren, to tell the truth about it, the whole world is under sin. How many here today, I don't want you to, but how many today would be willing to hold up your hand that you really know that you're a sinner? How many here don't hold up your hand, but how many deep in your heart would want to stand before God on what you've done thus far? How many? Paul, Paul's going to show in this letter that the Jews have done some good things. He's also going to show that the Gentiles have not done everything wrong. But he's also going to show that all they've ever done about Jesus Christ will never get them to heaven. Now I want to live in the hereafter myself. And Paul in this letter tells me how it's going to be done. What then is the Jews better than the Gentile? Paul says no in no wise. 
For we have before, we have before proved. Y'all listen to me now, children. Paul said that somewhere back, back of this statement, I have been talking to you about the situation. I have somewhere back before this proved what, Paul? I proved that all are under sin. Now, if the whole congregation to listen to these statements, I do not have any ill feelings towards any faith on this earth. I did, couldn't used to said that. I don't, I'm, I'm not one of these biased thinkers and narrow-minded fellows anymore. I prayed to get rid of that. But I do believe strongly in the fundamentals that I teach. And I, then I form all the rest of my preaching around that. And I do make the statement boldly that it makes a difference with God what I preach and what I believe. It makes a great difference with him. And so, after a study of the Bible, more and more and more, I become more and more convicted that it's through the sole work of Jesus Christ that a sinner is justified before God. There is something for justified people to do. But, a just, but the people cannot wash their sins away. Now, and so, I pray you here at Pine Hill, if you don't get anything out of the discourses, just be patient like you was when I was talking about the demons. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna do an everything in my power to try to educate these boys and girls that's soon gonna be grown it's what they should believe and contend for. Now, if you as an older one want to be lazy and indifferent about it and expect the church to grow, I cannot help it. Brother Ewan, thank God for churches that had zeal. You show me a church that hadn't got no zeal, I'll show you one that the members themselves are not happy to be at. No, sir, he said we're all under sin. All right, now. I'm going to read the scripture today. I hope it won't be boresome to you. We're going to start with chapter 1 and verse 1. And when we get into 18, that further literal discussion is going to begin concerning Romans 3 and 9. Are we better than they? No and no wise, because I've just proved, Paul said in this letter that you've read, that we're all under sin. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. Now here's what all the Scripture's about, whether it's the Holy Prophets in the Old Testament or whether it's the gospel in the New. Here's what it's all about. This next verse tells you. Let me read verse 2, then I'll go right on through the next one which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Paul said the whole thing is concerning Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Paul is going to be mighty busy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be showing us how important Jesus Christ is in our lives. All important. This is what the church is about. Listen, beloved. If there's anybody on the face of the earth today should, 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 should sit in complete stillness 
with your eardrums tuned to what I say. It should be people that says that we're Christians and that we form the church of God today. May God have mercy upon us if we take it any less fierce than that. I would have liked for Brother Ewan to got up and told how much the preaching of the gospel would do for you when you didn't listen to it. And the way you spell that is N-O-T-H-I-N-G. Nothing. There's never been a church that I've passed or nowhere that I didn't preach to people that the gospel of Jesus Christ didn't mean nothing to them because they thought it was playhouse for God and they wouldn't listen. And they'd come saying, oh, I know more than the preacher before I get there. Paul was interested in this church up at Rome and he's telling them in this letter, I'm praying that I get up there to see you some of these days. I want to come real bad. But in the meantime, I know there's people up there troubling you. There's people telling you you got to be circumcised the way Moses said it on the law. And you got to do a lot of things if you're going to go to heaven. But Paul said, I'm going to show you how important Jesus Christ in your life. I want to show you the cross of Christ. I want to show you someone that literally died for your sin. And I want to show you a good God that sent a spirit that just put that his love into your heart and applied that blood to your soul and fixed you whereby that you can meet me in the air one day. Paul said, I'm deeply concerned about that. And he's writing to a church. Beloved, I pray you listen today. If you don't, uh, there's one thing, here's the first thing I don't want you to forget. That Brother Wallace said, it makes a difference what you believe. Brother Wallace said the Bible, bear that out. Now, if, if there's anybody listening to me today that thinks that the Primitive Baptist believes that the elect has got it made and don't make no difference how we act and the rest going to hell anyway, I'll tell you I don't believe no such a mess as that. And the best I know, the primitive Baptists don't believe it either. In other words, I figure a person don't care how he lives, I doubt if he's an elect of God. But I tell you, if a person hasn't been chosen to salvation, he's still held accountable for doing what God demands of him according to the life that God has given him. I want to drive that home today in the message of this noble man under the influence of the Spirit. So Paul said it's all about the Son of God concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. That made of the seed of David according to the flesh simply means that Jesus was born of a Jew and Mary was kin to David and David was kin to Abraham and the Jewish nation starts with Abraham. That's what that's talking about. Jesus was a Jew as far as natural birth was concerned. That is, Mary, his mother, was a Jew, and she was kin to David, David kin to Abraham. That's what that's telling me. But it's really the Son of God, and the Scripture is all revolving around him. Verse 4 says, And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for you all. 
that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Did you get the thought there that Paul said, I'm thanking God for you through Jesus Christ? Are you aware of the fact that only through Jesus Christ could Paul have thanked God about anything? Are you aware of the fact that only through Jesus Christ that God could ever give you one spiritual blessing? Now I want you to, I want that to sink into you today. I want you old people that still got good health. You old people are still able to make long trips to go to the house of God. Able to go to town. Now don't, don't, don't get drowsy with me today. You that have attended church and it's meant a lot to you. Every one of those blessings comes through Jesus Christ. Now the person that forgets that will go to sleep nine times out of every ten because you got to say something he's never heard before to keep him awake. I'm telling you today that I'm showing you the goodness of God Almighty and justifying you a ruined sinner and making you spotless in his sight but through the only son he had. Now I'm going to tell my church members, if you got to tell someone it don't make no difference what you believe, don't let me hear it. And if you're not interested in whether, whether we're right here at this place or not, I'm going to tell you, may God have mercy upon you. If you think one place is just as good as another, I'm going to tell you, you walking in total ignorance. I'm not going to take the position to just say, well, now this is the best place. I'm not, I didn't say that. But I'm telling you, I did say that if you think any, any place just as, you just don't make no difference, I'm telling you, God Almighty is displeased with your thinking. And I'm going to tell you something else. If you have suffered some persecution here lately, anyone that's sitting on the side of my voice, if things are not well in your life, I'm telling you, God did not promise you that they would be well in this world. He has promised you that you can have victory now, and he's promised you beyond all shadows of a doubt that hell will not be your home through Jesus Christ. And Paul is showing you how that's made possible in Romans. But before that he can show you how it was made possible, he's got to drill into our eardrums that, first, beloved, don't you know that all the world is sinners? And that's what the first three chapters is about. How big a sinner do you feel today? How long has it been since you've truly repented of anything you've ever done? How long? I'm asking you, how long has it been? If it's been a good long while, can we come to the conclusion that we really are converted to the fact that we're a very big sinner? First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Paul never been there, but he's saying, I sure hope someday I can see you face to face. But in the meantime, if I never get there, if you'll read this letter, over and over and over, and pray for understanding, 
you'll make it all right in this land and can die with much assurance that through Jesus Christ, heaven will be your home. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, and to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now Paul says, if I ever get to leave to come on up there now, he says, my faith is going to be before I ever start the journey that Jesus Christ is the justifier. And he says, if you read this, my letter, and if you can believe it, when I get there, we're going to have a, we're going to be mutual in something. That is, we're going to have something in common. What is that, Paul? We're both going to be believing that the whole world is guilty before God. There wasn't one frazzling thing we could do to get ourselves out of that terrible condition. And then we're going to be believing that God, with a mighty love that we cannot understand, give all he had, his, his only son, to die whereby we might come to heaven. Isn't that wonderful, Brother Theo? Yesterday, I walked around saw my Brother Theo over there on that levee around of this lake. It's blistering hot. You know what we were looking for? We was looking for a plot of ground whereby that we could assemble men and women, boys and girls, and boys and girls specifically, that they might be together, have a good time, and to learn more of God. Now, why did I make that statement? I'm saying without the statement and the truth of this Bible here. I wouldn't give you a nickel for all of it. I know I'm a sinner. And I've come to the realization that I could not wash my sins away. I've come to that realization completely. Then to read Paul's letter. Then I can say, yeah, Paul. I have something in common with you. I believe that letter you wrote up out of Rome and then God preserved it for me. And I read that. And through the mercies of God Almighty, I believe every word you say, whether I can understand it all or not. Now, although God never did appear to me like he did you, he did appear to me. Now I feel him in my life. You said he is in your life. You said in that letter that God had appeared to you and revealed to you that it's through his Son that I stand just before him. He said, he said, now I've wrote that. You're going to believe it. And when I get there, there's going to be something real and vital between us. That is, we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he is our Savior. Beloved, listen to that. From that standpoint, it's very immaterial what we, what we belong to, isn't it? Every person standing in this building today surely would confess he's a sinner and if he's considered it well, you cannot wash your sins away. But God wanted his family to be whiter and snow. And the only way he could get it that way is to send Jesus. Paul said it'll never be real and vital until you believe that you cannot get to heaven any other way. 
and I'm going to show you the law of Moses will not get the job done. Nothing but the blood of Christ. But you'll really never shout until you believe my message that the whole world is guilty before God. Romans 3 and 9. Mutual faith. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I'll tell you, I've been comforted by the faith of this place that the people that was contending for when I was loafing around. And finally, by the mercies of God, I made my way to this place and I found I had something in common with it. It's been the greatest joy of my life for 15 years. You hearing that today? I didn't stutter when I said that. And I want to tell you again, you, I, 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 I would imagine some people think I'm joking. But the church of God is the greatest blessing I've ever encountered in this whole world. And when that, and, and when God blessed me to begin to have a mutual faith with these people that had kept this church going, and then to let me grow in that and, 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 and feel something more coming with them all the time, has been the greatest blessing that I've ever known. Then after that happened to me, I looked back and I seen why somebody kept standing, kept carrying on even when the church sometimes would get out pretty low in number. But there'd be someone keep coming here, now, the thing that brings the church of God together is a mutual faith. In what? First of all, we believe that by our own feelings and by the scripture that we're sinners. And not only that, but the whole world is under it. But God has called us out. And we not only believe that he made the universe. We believe that Jesus Christ literally died for our sins. And through the spirit, he's really alive in our lives. There's some people that within the last two years that had really been set on a fire with the gospel of the Son of God. And my pity goes out to every born-again person that's dragging around and sad and indifferent and think it's a bunch of carrying on and I don't know what it's all about. Well, you never will, beloved, until you have a real mutual faith with Paul. Is that not your experience today? That's what the church of God is all about, to come together When people go to the PTA, they all go for a, for a mutual reason, don't they? Don't they? When women have their bridge party on Tuesday evening, don't they, the women gather for something in common? But the greatest assembly there is, is the one that God calls out, and he said that's a church because that word means a called out assembly. With a mutual faith that through the mercies of God Almighty, through the operation of the Spirit, that we can say, yes, yes, I believe that, that I'm a sinner, but yet God loved me through Jesus, and he inspired a man to just pinpoint it and tell me, and then for me to look back over 2,000 years ago, or at least thereabouts. And say this is, I can, I'm just, I can say with Paul, yea and amen. Now you may want something more than that. But if that's not enough for you in the church, I'm afraid what you're seeking for will never be real and lasting in your life. 
You know, this fellow told his pastor here recently that you, your preaching don't edify me. You don't make me cry enough. Don't make me cry enough. Beloved, it's not a case of whether you ever cry or not. It's a case that you believe that Jesus Christ justified you before God. If you really believe that. Whether you cry or not, you're going to be a happy, dedicated Christian if you really believe. If you about halfway believe it, and the preacher's got to tell you about the death of Uncle Bill to get you stirred up emotionally, you'll still be blue by Tuesday evening, beloved. It's real and vital something that says, I'm going to be powerful and victorious over hell itself through Jesus Christ, my Lord. But Paul says, Beloved, you'll never do much about it until I prove to you and you literally believe that the whole world is guilty before God. Now then, I have preached discourses out of the first three chapters of Romans to say that I didn't believe these people in chapter 1 were children of God. Their description I don't think is. But that's secondary. The first primary reason that Paul is driving home I want you to see the downfall and the sin of the Gentiles and their guilt before God. You are actually, not only by nature, but a literal, lively sinner in action. Then he says, the whole world is that way. The whole world is going down. The whole world is on its way to hell because God cannot bless sin. Ah, but he says, standing. Standing in the midst of that is a man. Second Adam. Jesus. The Son of God. Dying. Bleeding. That I, we might be made water. Verse 13. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that all time I purpose to come unto you what was led hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and unto the unwise. I'm going to ask you parents, and I'll take the same admonition today, if Paul felt to be debtors to everybody he could get to to preach to, do you feel any indebtedness to your own children? I'm going to leave that right where it's at. Verse 15. So as much as in me is, now I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that which are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. The Jew first and also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, and it is written, The just shall live by faith. Now, verse 18. Verse 18. Here's where the, here's where the discussion really sets in. It's in this verse that Paul really gets down to knitting to show to any human being that's ever felt the love of God in their heart how that they should shout for joy for the complete free mercies of God towards them. Because Paul is fixing to show that the whole world is guilty before God. 
Let's read that verse. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now I'm going to talk some about that verse. People had rather hear about the love of God than they had about the wrath of God. I had myself. Because when you get to talking about the wrath and God has wrath towards sinners, brother, that gets me the first go-round. I don't have to have the second statement to know whether I'm including on that or not. Paul is saying that God has a hatred for sin. The wrath of God. Now, when Paul says the wrath of God, he's not bringing out how God is going to punish. He's not talking about the punishment of God when he says the wrath of God. Not the punishment of it, but God's attitude towards it. Paul said there's been a great revelation from heaven about God's attitude towards sin. If I didn't know anything except Jesus Christ, I'd know sin is awful. And all the human beings combined together couldn't do one thing about it. They just make it aggravated and make it worse. And it takes a thoughtless, perfect being to help us. And the love of God sends Jesus. The wrath of God, his attitude of sin, his displeasure of sin, his hatred for sin. Punishment comes later. When we get to somewhere in Romans chapter 5, we're going to find in there that through Jesus Christ that we're going to be delivered from the wrath to come. Are you hearing that today? But the only way that God is that we're going to be delivered from the wrath to come, God's hatred for sin brings wrath. And the only way that we're going to be delivered from the wrath to come is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, do you today, do you believe you accept Jesus Christ to, to get to, to for that? Or do you believe that, that God Almighty, through the Spirit of God, just takes the goodness, the, the, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, and imputes it to you, just gives it to you? Which one do you believe in today at this point? Which one do you believe in today? Now, I'm going to tell you when I get there what it is. It won't be today. The wrath of God. I'm going to read you some verses that talks about that. I believe that some people believe they're going to get rid of the wrath just because they've done some good acts. Probably spoke to someone, somebody's smile, and a carrot ain't molly, a bucket of molasses some morning. There's not anything wrong in that. But that won't get rid of God's hatred about sin. I believe a person had not been born again to carry Aunt Molly and Bugs and Molasses. You need them. Just because it's kinfolk. That won't get rid of his sin. That won't deliver him from the wrath to come. Paul said, all the world is under it, brethren. And before I finish this letter, I'm going to tell you what gets you out from under it and how you're going to escape the wrath to come. 
How many of you are old enough this morning to realize that time's mighty short with you? How many is old enough to realize that? Now, everyone that has realized that, you know the sun is setting for you, do you still want to rest in your own merit? Well, if you don't, you ought to try to contend and say, Yeah and Amen! That is Jesus Christ through the mercies of God that imputed the blood of Jesus to me. Then give me a new life to cause where I could appreciate it and value it and live for Jesus Christ while I'm in this world. To people that says, I believe that word you said, Pastor Wallace, but I don't need to be baptized. I'm going to pray for you. Is anybody here like that today? You're in one of the worst shapes you could realize that you're in. The wrath of God, his displeasure, his attitude, his hatred for sin. For the wrath of God, Paul says. Now you listen to Mark 3 and 5. Mark 3 and 5. And when he had looked around, that's Jesus Christ in a synagogue on a Sabbath day, fixing to cure, uh, make whole a man's hand. And those darkened Pharisees and scribes that make them so all fired mad because he's going to do that on the Sabbath day that they're willing to do everything including kill him. And Jesus' wrath goes out against that, his displeasure, his hatred for any such darkness as that. And he's holding these people accountable for that. Why he said, the lies that I've said before you, you should know better than that. My wrath goes out towards you. But people says, no, God just don't care. You're an elect, we can just do it, we please. May God have mercy upon that dark understanding. The wrath of God. And when he had looked around about on them with anger, wrath, sore displeasure, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as others. Why did you read that? I read you that to show you that Jesus Christ, which is equal to God in all respects, has a hatred for sin. And also show you that these people were held responsible for that act. John 3 and 36, St. John 3 and 36. We're talking about for the wrath of God now. John says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Who is the wrath of God abides upon? A person that don't believe. The wrath of God. You say the church of God can make it on the love of God not knowing about the wrath of God. I deny that statement. It's just as necessary for me to understand the wrath of God as it is the love of God. Ephesians 2 and 3, the wrath of God we have under consideration. Among whom also we... Now he's talking about the elect of God now. He's talking about someone has been brought into life, someone that's serving God in a church capacity. But he's showing them without Jesus Christ and the mercies of God who you are without that. Paul says emphatically without that you're nothing more than a person whereby the wrath of God rests upon. Listen, beloved. 
I can bring my little grand boy that's here today a, a whole pocket full of candy. I can kiss him just every time I go in the house. And I can cuddle him in my arms and trot him to sleep on my knees. But I can't get the wrath of God from his soul because by nature he's a sinner. But I thank God that I can look heavenward really through Jesus Christ. And hear Paul's letter ring out. Oh, the wrath of God, the hatred of God towards sin is awful. And it couldn't be got rid of only by one way. And that's God by love. By the sin Jesus Christ into this world. And it's through that that he, if, if my grandboy or his grandfather or anyone else ever gets to heaven, something had to get rid of the hatred and, uh, and, and that ill feeling, the wrath of God towards sin. Paul said, I'm proving to you, brethren, everybody's under it. Don't you see the need to get out from under it? Don't you see you can't do it yourself? Don't you have a mutual faith with me and thanksgiving to God for what he's done for you? That's what it's all about. Oh, we sit around and nurture our children, our grandchildren on about the love and what we can do and what we can do. You can do nothing about getting the wrath of God. You can teach them the mercies of God, the love of God, and sing the songs of Zion and carry to church, which you ought to do. But the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can lift the wrath of God away from under any, any individual. And this verse that I'm fixing to, set, to read to you now. Paul said, without that, you was nothing more than a child of wrath. That may be dry preaching, beloved, but it'll be plenty good when you get ready to turn up your toes and face God. I'll tell you that. Ephesians 2 and 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. What is the children of wrath? But the children of wrath is that's the whole world. That's the whole world. Paul's going to prove it as he goes along the whole world. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.